Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, this is Jim Morrow, family doctor with Morrow Family Medicine in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Uh, we're here today in the North Fulton Business Radio X studio inside the Renaissance Bank on Wimbledon Parkway in Alpharetta, Georgia. I'm here with my friend and producer, John Ray. John, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, and we are we are broadcasting live today. We are, in fact. We're live on the North Fulton Business Radio X website. We are live on the Mara Family Medicine website, and we're live on the Two Year Health Facebook page. And we're excited about that. We hope people will find that a little bit easier to to listen to as they go through their work day. Maybe you're on the treadmill at the gym and you figure this is a great way to spend that time. Of course, if I was on the treadmill at the gym, that this would last about six times longer than I would be on the treadmill. But other than that, it's all good. It's all good. And, That's of course, right. we're still in the podcast. So if, if people miss the live show, they can check us out later. That's exactly right. And we hope you will. Uh, we also have ways that you can contact us. You can reach us by email at drjim, drjim, at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us at toyourhealthmd. And if you have topic suggestions or ideas or compliments, we'd love for you to send them. If you have complaints, you can send those straight to John. So today we're going to talk about childhood asthma. Childhood asthma is something that, as family doctors, we don't see every day. Uh, but we certainly see those that have grown up with it and are, in a lot of cases, growing out of it, which is the good news about a lot of childhood asthma. But you also see some that it stays with them and you have to deal with them in a family practice setting. So what is asthma? Asthma is a chronic disease that affects your airways. And what happens in the airways is they get sore and inflamed and swollen. And when they do, they become narrower. And so because of that, your ability to get air in and out of your lungs might be compromised. In the United States, there are about 20 million people total, adults and children, that have asthma, and about 9 million of those are children. So that's an awful lot of kids running around who already have smaller airways than adults do, and it just makes asthma that much more serious for them. If you can imagine uh, all of a sudden trying to breathe through a straw instead of trying to breathe your normal way, then you can get a pretty good feeling in a hurry for what an asthmatic patient feels like. Now, children with asthma get some of the same symptoms that adults do, and they get to a degree some others, but mainly they can get wheezing, they can have cough, even a chronic cough. They can get chest tightness, which might be described as a chest pain or a funny feeling in the chest, and they can just have straight-up trouble breathing, which can be especially early in the morning and at night and also when they exercise. So the things that cause asthma, pure, plain old intrinsic asthma is typically caused by nothing. There's not a trigger. There's not anything that causes it. But then you can have what's called extrinsic asthma, which also includes a condition called reactive airway disease. And that can be made worse by things that you come in contact with. It might be something you're allergic to, like molds or animal dander or pollens. It can be irritants like cigarette smoke and pollution. We used to refer to cigarette smoke as being an allergen. We would say people were allergic to cigarette smoke. I've said it most of my life. And now we, we're saying that it's actually an irritant more than it is an allergen. But I know if you're riding with both parents smoking in the back seat of a Ford Falcon with all four windows rolled up, 
you've got a good chance of developing some lung problems, and a lot of these children have it because of cigarette smoke. Another thing that happens is weather, changes in the weather especially, and I think most everybody's aware of the respiratory things you can get with changes in the weather, but cold air. Now, if, you, if it gets really cold, and it doesn't do that too terribly often here in North Georgia, but if it gets terribly cold, 6, 10, 12 degrees, you go outside and take some deep breaths through your mouth, and you're going to notice almost immediately that you're a little bit tighter than you were from a breathing standpoint before you went outside. And then the last thing is infections. You get the flu, you get a cold. If you have any sort of asthma going on, you're very likely to have symptoms associated with that asthma because of that infection. And like I said, some of these things you can categorize as reactive airway disease because if you if you didn't react to these things, you wouldn't have them. But they're all treated the same. And when people do have trouble, that's when you call this an asthma attack. So asthmatics in general, do extremely well, sometimes because they're lucky, sometimes because they're using medication properly. But almost all of them at some point will get worse and will suffer an asthma attack. So in treating asthma, there are two primary types of medicines that are used. They're quick-reacting medications that we use every day to stop the symptoms of asthma, and these are what people refer to as rescue medications or rescue inhalers. And then we have long-term medications that you take on a regular basis to control or to prevent, rather, the symptoms of asthma. And when I started practicing, one of the main things I used for asthma was a medicine called theophylline, which really is a caffeine derivative. And if you, if you took enough theophylline to really make your symptoms better, you would be running around backwards all day long because it sped you up something terrible and it made your heart race and it made you hyper, made you tremor. And now we have mainly inhaled medications. There are a few pills, but mainly inhaled medications that have very few side effects. Their efficacy is great. Uh, they're not horribly expensive in, in some cases. Uh, the brand name drugs are the brand name drugs, so you can expect that. But really, they, they work extremely well. Uh, to the point that uh, most children and most people with asthma uh, do extremely well. Now, one problem, though, is diagnosing asthma. Now, for adults, it's a little bit easier, but children are obviously, depending on the age, not as able and not as ready to share their symptoms. So it can be a problem, number one, identifying that there is a problem. Sometimes you might have a a toddler running around the house who just coughs, and you might think, well, he's allergic to the dog or – Uh, He's got a runny nose, but sometimes if they just cough and cough and cough, it's time to take them to the doctor to get them checked for asthma. But many children go symptom-free for long periods of time before they ever have an actual asthma attack. They might have a little bit of trouble here and there, but they, they may go extremely long periods between asthma attacks. And symptoms of asthma are often confused with other respiratory conditions. And depending on the age, like I said, sometimes it's just real difficult to get a diagnosis because you don't get a lot of cooperation from a a very young child. Now, the symptoms, like I said, coughing, you might have wheezing, shortness of breath, and then this chronic cough that I'm talking about, which in kids is really one of the more common symptoms. So if your child has some of these symptoms, you need to make an appointment with Someone You can start with the pediatrician, you can start with the family doctor, but at some point you need to see an, an allergist, immunologist, pulmonary doctor, somebody along those lines, because this can be a very important thing. If your child wheezes and whistles, 
when they exhale. If they appear short of breath or they stop exercising or they stop playing and you're not sure why and they don't really have a great answer for you, then they probably ought to be checked. Fatigue is a common associated symptom with this for the obvious reason that they're not getting enough oxygen. And so if your child's playing with friends and all of a sudden just stops for no apparent reason, especially repeatedly, then this is worth getting them into the doctor. For infants, if you think about an infant breastfeeding or bottle feeding, they have to breathe through their nose during that time. And anybody that's ever tried to bottle or breastfeed a baby knows that if they get nasally congested, they can't feed. They can't breathe. And, and so if, that, if they're having trouble feeding, that might be a sign that they have some difficulty breathing, and that could be asthma. One of the types of asthma that is fairly common, and we see this a good little bit even in family medicine, is exercise-induced asthma. Exercise-induced asthma is exactly what it sounds like. You're fine until you run real fast, whether it's, it doesn't matter whether it's on a field or a treadmill, but you run and get your heart rate up and get your breathing rate up, and all of a sudden you're having trouble breathing. So if, if your child just avoids sports or other social activities where this might be going on, then you need to consider that maybe they have some trouble breathing. And then problem sleeping. A lot of times people will have trouble sleeping uh, because of asthma. It might be difficulty breathing. It might be due to coughing, but they're just not good sleepers. And so that's something you need to think about. Now, an asthma attack or a flare-up of asthma, and there's a minor difference probably between an actual attack and just a flare-up of symptoms, but the gist is the breathing gets worse. And that can happen because of some of the things I mentioned. If you take them somewhere that uh, there's a dog or a cat, then even if they don't have an actual allergy, that can irritate them and they can end up with a problem. Dust mites are everywhere, I mean literally everywhere, and impossible to get away from, and many people have a problem with those. So there are things you can do to help prevent that, but you need to be aware of that as well. And then there's a, a pattern a lot of times to the way a, a person has symptoms. And children will have symptoms uh, in, a, in a pattern very many times. It might be at night or early morning. It might be, like I mentioned earlier, related to exercise. It might be just during certain seasons. Another thing that can happen is it can be right after laughing or crying because you know that if you laugh or cry, you breathe faster. And it, if you're exposed to some of these other common triggers, then that can be a problem and you might find that you need to take the child in to be checked. So the diagnosis, like I mentioned, is fairly difficult. Uh, you can do and you will end up doing breathing tests uh, to measure and to test the airway function. Now, in adults, there are other things you can do, but the primary test, especially in a child, is what's called spirometry. And spirometry is the most common lung function test that's done. It measures how much air is moved in and out of the lungs and, very importantly, how fast that air can be moved because the speed with which you can get air in and especially out of the lungs is very a very important indicator about lung function. Now, it's not simple for a child to do these. It's fairly involved, and you have to follow very specific instructions. But most children, by the time they're about, I'd say, six, can do a spirometry test. Some preschoolers are able to do it even at a, a younger age. But if your child's six and having trouble, odds are pretty good they can do the test. What you do is you go to the doctor, and they put a nose clip on the nose, just like you see in swimmers. And that's so they won't breathe in and out through their nose during the test because you have to breathe through your mouth. They take a deep breath, 
and you blow it out into a little mouthpiece that's connected to some machine. Typically these days it's a computer. And so they take this really deep breath and you blow it out. Now the problem with blowing it out is it's like blowing through a toilet paper tube. There's no resistance at all, and it can be a little bit disconcerting to do that. But after a few tries, a lot of times kids are able to to successfully complete the test. Now, they'll want to do it two or three times because you want to choose between the best two tests typically when you do this kind of thing. It can take, it can easily take a half an hour. It wouldn't surprise me. It often takes half an hour because you, you don't want to do all this in a row because you get winded. So you do it and you rest a little bit and chat with the patient and you do it again and rest a little bit and chat with the patient and do it again. So it's going to take some time, but it's very, very good uh, information, and it really tells you a lot about the actual functioning of the lungs. It might also take a few visits to get the whole thing completed and to get everything done that you need to do. You can bet that your child is going to cough when they're doing this test. So that's to be expected, and I'll, I think if you explain that kind of thing beforehand, it'll help the child. If you tell them that they can rest between blowing into the machine to let them catch their breath. I think that helps. And all these things that you, you might say to them are going to give them some reassurance and help calm them in a time that really, for them, has to be disconcerting at best because here they are in the doctor's office of doing these tests, and they, they really, I'm sure, would have a hard time understanding exactly why you're doing this. So then you do these tests, and a lot of times to get more information, the physician may introduce a bronchodilator, one of the preventive medications I was talking about, to the test. And so you end up doing a, a, post, a pre- and post-bronchodilator test. So most people have seen asthma inhalers, and I said preventative and I meant treating. Uh, most people have seen these little asthma inhalers that people carry around all the time. And these are rescue inhalers, and that's what they would use in between these tests. So if you think about this, you do the test, your lungs are in some certain state, untreated state, you haven't been using medication. You do the test, then you use the bronchodilator to try to open up the bronchial tubes, try to make that straw bigger, if you will. And then after doing that, then they'll repeat the test. So the whole thing can be uh, quite some time, and it also can be very trying for a child. And as far as making it less stressful for the child, because I think that's always important, you know, it's important for the doctor and the parent both, actually, to be patient with the child during the test and explain to them that this is not going to hurt. It's being done to find out if they can do something to help you breathe better. And you want to schedule this at a time of the day when the child is not known to be overly tired. I think one of the worst things you could do is to do something like that right after the school day or at the end of the day because everybody knows that's when things start to unravel. You need a physician that's going to explain all this stuff a physician that's willing to take the time to sit there and, and get down on the child's level and explain what's going on and why you're doing this. And I think if you do that, you'll have a pretty good experience. Some people, some children and adults, just don't get relief even after diagnosis and even after treating the symptoms. And if you find that you're not making progress, then I think it's important to think about other conditions that can make asthma worse or can even mimic asthma. So these things are, are things that people have thought about a lot of times already. Probably one's allergic rhinitis or hay fever. 
you know, if you have bad allergies, then you can have all these same symptoms, but you may not have any asthma. You might just have hay fever. If you have a sinus infection, you can certainly have plenty of mucus to plug up airways, and you can have plenty of inflammation and have some of these same symptoms. And the thing that people don't think about a lot is what's called gastroesophageal reflux or acid reflux that causes heartburn. And even when it doesn't cause heartburn, you can get enough acid reflux in a child or an adult to spill over into the trachea and the bronchial tubes and cause a lot of inflammation and coughing and shortness of breath and and other things that, that we're seeing in both asthma patients and in acid reflux patients. I think it's important to remember, too, that Asthma is a complicated thing to diagnose, and the result of these tests can be normal even if your child has asthma. So I think it's important to be persistent. If you have a child that's symptomatic and you do these tests and they're normal, certainly you think about hay fever and acid reflux and that kind of thing. But I think it's also important to continue to push a little bit and to continue to try to see if treating for what might be asthma makes the child better. So that's an important thing as well. I'd like to remind everybody that this is To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow, and this is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine. We're a typical family practice in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. And I say typical because we're not one that do, we're not not a group that does a lot of injections and, and Botox and Juvederm and that kind of thing. We're pretty much just a straight up family practice. Uh, We try to take extremely good care of our patients when they need us, and we try to be there for them. We are trying to, quote, bring care back to health care, and I think we're doing that. We've been very fortunate over the last 20-plus years to be able to have patients that come back year after year and even now seeing children of patients, and that's quite an experience. So we've been doing this podcast now for almost a year And I encourage you, wherever you're listening to the podcast, to hit the subscribe button so you can be notified when the podcast comes up. And if you're listening live, I appreciate you doing that as well. If you look at the website and you see an episode that you might want to listen to, please take advantage of that as well. So we're talking today about childhood asthma, and I want to talk a little bit about how to prevent asthma symptoms. Now, you can't really prevent asthma. Uh, If you have asthma, you have asthma, and if you're going to have asthma, you're going to have asthma, but that doesn't mean you have to have a lot of trouble. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things I mentioned earlier that can cause symptoms and what you might do about it. So the first one is dust mites. Dust mites are essentially everywhere. Uh, They're airborne substances that trigger asthma symptoms, and if you reduce your contact with these, then you can reduce your symptoms. The research of all the things that we're going to talk about for prevention, the research is best with dust mites. There's more research and more data about how to do this with dust mites. If your child's at high risk of developing allergies, these are some things you might be able to do. You want to start off with covers on your pillows. You want to use a zippered one that says on the label, allergen impermeable. So that's something you're always looking for on your pillowcase. But it's a pillow cover, not just a pillowcase. It has a zipper. It's something that these allergens can't get through. And the problem is that the allergens are in the pillows. And I'd be willing to bet that if you bring a brand-new pillow home and open it up out of the plastic, it's going to have dust mites in it. So you put these covers on pillows, put them on mattresses, and you ought to wash the the bedding in hot water every week. 
Now, some of that might sound just incredibly obvious, but it's important to do that. Another thing is you want to keep the humidity in your house below 50%. Mold in homes is often due to excessive moisture, and the people that you talk to a lot of times have had water damage, and they might have stopped short of having this or that wall fixed and part of the sheetrock removed, and it's an easy place to end up with mold damage and mold and, and dust mites go hand in hand with how they can affect the lungs and they can give you an awful lot of trouble. So you want to use fans where you need to in bathrooms and in the kitchen, especially to control the humidity. You might need a dehumidifier, especially if it's in a basement setting to be sure that you don't have too much water. Carpeting, upholstered furniture, you need to get these out of an infant's bedroom for sure, and certainly a child's bedroom if they seem to be having any problems at all. Carpets and throw rugs and upholstered furniture hold on to dust mites like Velcro. Now, the other thing I mentioned was pets and animal dander. And we've known for years that there's a relationship between animals and the development of allergies and asthma. Previous evidence suggested that children exposed to animals early we're more likely to develop asthma and allergies, and it kind of makes sense if you think about that. But recently, some new studies have come out, and they're seeing that, that if you're exposed early, you might not develop the allergy. And I'd need to get a an, an allergist or an immunologist on the line to really get the details about that because I kind of fall in the category of if you're exposed early, you might have more trouble. But you can't argue with research, and so recently we are seeing more information that says this is a little bit less likely. Tobacco smoke. Now, this one's pretty simple, but at the same time, it's very difficult because so many people have trouble fighting that demon of tobacco. It's just important not to expose your child to tobacco smoke before or after birth. Now, the before birth had so much research done on it, it's crazy, but really, after birth, you want to be careful that you don't expose your child to tobacco smoke. I don't care that granddaddy smokes. Granddaddy cannot smoke when he comes to visit, and that's an important thing. During pregnancy, smoking increases the chance of your, smile, of your child wheezing during infancy and having asthma later in life, and exposing children to secondhand smoke has been shown to increase the development of asthma and other chronic respiratory diseases that we want to try to stay away from because these are not things that – that go away if you're talking about smoke and the damage it can cause because it really is just that. You're talking about a lifelong problem. And we see people all the time who, as I mentioned earlier, riding in a, a Ford Falcon with the windows rolled up and both parents smoking, have developed a problem that they've had for the rest of their life, even though they've never smoked. So at, at some point, it's very possible that, aller that asthma is going to present as an emergency. And if you do have a child with asthma, you want to avoid the emergency room as much as possible. But it's also important to know when going to the emergency room is the right thing to do. Sometimes kids with asthma need medical help very quickly. They can get into a real bind in a hurry, especially if their rescue inhaler is not working. If any of these things happen, you want to go to your doctor, go to the ER, or call an ambulance. And I'll tell you from experience, you want to go to the ER or call an ambulance because oftentimes going to the doctor just delays the kind of treatment that you cannot get in a doctor's office, but you can in the emergency room. So here are the things to look out for. 
If your child has constant wheezing, if you just cannot get it to stop, if you use the quick relief or the rescue medications repeatedly for severe symptoms and they don't go away after 15 or 20 minutes or if they come back right away, I'd head for the ER. If your child has a lasting cough that doesn't respond to the rescue inhaler and if there are changes in your child's color like a bluish or gray lips and fingernails, you need to go to the ER. You don't need to be thinking the five most dangerous words in the English language, which are maybe it will go away. You need to be making plans to get that child to the ER. And I'll tell you, if you're concerned for your child like that, the best thing you can do is call an ambulance. Because if you try to take your child, especially if it's just you, if you try to drive your child to the emergency room, if they get worse, you're going to be paying more attention to them and not on the road, and then you're both in an ambulance heading to the ER. So an ambulance is always the right thing to do. I tell patients all the time that that you're, you'll never go wrong by calling 911. You'll never, ever wish you hadn't done that. If your child has trouble talking or can't speak in full sentences because they just can't get enough breath to do it, then that's important and you need to be heading to the ER. And lastly, if you have what's called retractions. Now, if you look at a child's chest when they're having this kind of difficulty, if you can see the muscles in between the ribs moving in and out, that's a key that you need to get some immediate medical help. So asthma is a a chronic illness, but it, it doesn't have to be a progressively debilitating thing. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. You can do an awful lot to manage your environment, to control the symptoms, and to even prevent the symptoms. But it does take work. It takes a lot of attention. And for a child, sometimes that's more than they want to do, but they can learn fairly quickly how to let mom or dad know that they're having trouble and that they need to use their inhaler. An accurate diagnosis of asthma can mean the difference between your child sitting on the sidelines at a, at a game or during a sport or participating fully. And you and your, your child and your allergist or immunologist can work together to figure out the best way to give your child the best quality of life they can possibly have. And, John, that's childhood asthma in a very, very nutshell. That was good. Um, And I learned a lot because I don't have an experience with this in my family. So um, I'm curious about adults. I mean, I know you talked about childhood, but so can you develop asthma as an adult? Absolutely. Okay. You can develop asthma any moment, any time, just like almost anything. Uh, you can, for reasons you never will understand, all of a sudden at age 50 become asthmatic. Uh, now, there's a fine line there, especially if you're an older person, and I'm looking at you, John. Yeah, I, I see I see you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a little bit older, then the question is, well, is this really asthma or is it chronic obstructive lung disease? What exactly is it? But you can develop these symptoms at any point without doing anything to bring it on. It just happens. And there's no marker or no indicator that says I'm likely to get it that you could. Not that you can test for. Yeah, that's what I mean. In the history, there's some things, yeah, but not that you can test for right now. Yeah, so, and that that was the other question. So you're talking about history. Is this hereditary or completely environmental? It absolutely can be hereditary. You do see families that have asthma throughout the family and Everybody in the family probably will have a different story to tell. Mm. Um, but you do see it 
where people are more prone to it, just like you do so many other things. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Well, if you're listening to this as a podcast, it might not be the week before Christmas, but if you're listening to us live, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, a Happy Upcoming New Year. We're not going to be back until the New Year. Right. But we are going to be back then with bigger and better things. And I just appreciate everyone listening this year. It's been a fantastic thing. I want to thank my wife, Peggy, for telling me that I needed to do this because I was a little bit skeptical. And, John, thanks for making it possible and for getting her involved. And we appreciate it very much. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah. And for now, that is to your health.